Yeah, what a joy it is to be with you this morning and be able to bring the, the good news of the gospel. Our sermon text this morning is Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. And I've entitled it, Christ's Ascension, Exaltation, and Glorification. I hope this leaves you with a real uh, excitement this morning when you leave here. Uh, this is a, a feel-good sermon, if you will, for the most part. Uh, just seeing the amazing things that God has done for us and why we can rejoice each and every day. Uh, it's not just on Sundays, but uh, all through the week. You know, as, Christ, as Christians, we have an exciting future, and that's what we're talking about here this morning. And the reason we have such an exciting future is because of Jesus' ascension, his exaltation, and glorification. And so why is that? Why do I say that? You know, this is what happened to Jesus, Right? Why is that exciting to me this morning and to you this morning? Well, it's because we're in union with Jesus. You know, that's something that is very important that we deeply understand because it will change the way you look at everything you face every day, every problem, every rejoicing, everything you face. So we're, we know that everything that's happened to Jesus has happened to us also. So when we're in union with Christ, that, that means that Jesus rose from the dead, and that we're going to raise, be raised from the dead. Jesus ascended, and we're going to ascend. Jesus was exalted, and so we're going to be exalted. And so when we are raised, then we're going to be transformed, and, and we're going to be glorified just like Jesus was. And so, you know, as we think about that, I hope that that makes your heart stir and realize, wow, this really is true. This is something that's going to happen to me just like it happened to Jesus. And so we know that Christ has already gone before us. It's already a past tense for him. He's in heaven. These things are things that have been tested and have been true. And so now we're guaranteed that we will receive them because he's already received them. And so we're going to receive in part everything that he's already received. And so that means that what's true of Jesus is true of us. And we can't say that often enough. What's true of Jesus is true of us. And so that's why we can be excited this morning because of what's happened to Jesus. We're also going to participate in these amazing promises. So we're waiting joyfully, hopefully, for Jesus' return because it's an absolute certainty that these promises are ours. So we can have joy today, even though we might be in negative circumstances I mean, this is, as Paul wrote these words this, in this passage here in Philippians, then he was in very adverse circumstances. He was in jail, and yet he's full of joy. And so these are some of the things he's thinking about as he pens this letter, you know, to the Philippians. And so that means also, because it's happened to Jesus already, that we can't lose them. You can't do something that's going to cause you to lose your salvation, and it's so easy, you know, that our, our sinful nature will try and say, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can lose that. You know, you've done the worst thing you can possibly do, and now heaven's not yours anymore. You've lost your salvation. And that's not true. That's not ever true. The good news is the gospel, and that, that means that we can't lose these beautiful promises that are ours so I want you to be encouraged this morning, realizing as, as we go through the rest of this passage that these words are true, that these things are positive and they're good news. And so because of that, 
Are you ready to worship the Lord again this morning, right now? Thinking about these amazing promises that God has made to you, that Jesus has already accomplished for you. Are you ready to thank him and adore him for those this morning? That's what we're doing when we worship. We're giving God thanks for the things that he's already done for us, he's going to do for us. And so we're thankful for that. So please stand now for the reading of God's word. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing word, this amazing passage that you've given to us to consider this morning. Lord, I pray that the things that you have promised and that you've already done would deepen in our hearts, that our faith would be strengthened, would increase in seeing that these things are true and that we can appropriate them to our hearts and our lives and our thinking. Oh, Lord, do a great work through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit right now that we might be encouraged in this amazing gospel that you've given for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the first point is what, or excuse me, why does Jesus, let me start over. Why does verse 9 start with the word therefore? Therefore. Well, of course, I mean, everybody's heard the expression, why is it therefore, therefore, right? And so we're going to look back at verse 8 to understand it, where we're told that Jesus humbled himself and died for us on the cross. Therefore, our sins are already forgiven. And that's exciting news for people who sin every day right now. They're forgiven. You know, we've been justified by faith in Christ. We've already been singing about some of these beautiful things this morning. It's fresh in our mind if we were paying attention. And we receive Jesus' righteousness. Jesus has already done this. But it says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the word of God to the point of death, even on a cross. That shows the importance of the word of God for our lives and the importance that we too obey it, that we see that there's blessing for others as well as ourselves as we do. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed the word of God, even to the point of death. He was sinless and righteous, so he didn't even need to go to the cross. He would have lived forever. And so because Jesus did go to the cross, then that's why God exalted Jesus. He humbled himself that way and was exalted because he obeyed to the end. Our justification can never be reversed or taken away from us. It's not based on our works, it's based on Jesus' works. And that's where our confidence lies this morning. So what that means is that now you can name it and claim it. You can name your justification. You can say, yes, it's my justification. It belongs to me. It's mine. 
Nobody can take this away from me. I own this. And also, it means that those who are justified are also glorified. And wow, what an amazing thing that's going to be. Chapter 1, verse 6, we already looked at this before. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ or when he returns. It's going to be complete. He's going to do that. It's not saying I have earned this, I have to work towards it. He's going to do that. It's the, it's the sovereignty of God. It's what Jason was talking about, that sovereignty of God that's working even though I'm sinning over here. How, does that t- how do those two things come together? I don't know. It's a mystery. But I know God's doing that, and that's where my confidence lies. It doesn't lie in me. It lies in God. So Jesus is going to do this. And I hope that gives you great joy this morning, that certainty, that hope that cannot be taken away. Heaven is yours. Eternal life is yours. And when Jesus returns, he will complete that work of glorifying you. That leads us to our second point. What were the details surrounding Jesus' ascension? Well, verse 9 says that God highly exalted Jesus. So Jesus ascended into the very presence of God in heaven. And we read earlier, but I'm going to read it again, what happened in Acts 1.9. As the apostles were gathered, and they were watching what was going on. It says, and when Jesus had said these things, as the apostles were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Wow. So they were witnesses then to what happened to this Jesus of Nazareth who is now lifted up into the very presence of God. And he did it when he was partially transformed. And what do I mean by he's partially transformed? It means that he came out of a a grave that was carved out of solid rock. And there was this big stone that was rolled over across it. Somehow, when they rolled back that stone, he wasn't there. So he was transformed to the point he could leave that grave that was sealed. In another passage, we see where the disciples are gathered together in a locked room because they were so fearful. Their, their Savior had, had you know, been crucified. They thought it was all over. So they're meeting in there, and they're trying to encourage one another, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the midst of where they were. So how did he get through those walls? How did he get out of that grave? He was partially transformed already. And that's why he says to Thomas, he said, don't touch me right now, later, you know, I'm not quite finished. And so the transformation will be complete as he goes to the right hand of the Father. And so all this took place 40 days after Jesus had been walking the face of the earth. After he had been talking to Hundreds, it says in one place, over 500 people. And so he's constantly talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. In different places we see him talking to different ones. So it was after all that had taken place that God lifted up Jesus and caused him to ascend to be at his right hand. What an amazing thing to have been there with those disciples, those apostles, and watch what happened. There's Jesus being lifted up right before their very eyes. That leads us to our third point. Once Jesus ascended to heaven, what did God do? Now, I want you to start paying even closer attention than you already have been. This is where things get more and more exciting. 
So verse 9 says that God highly exalted him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. God exalted Jesus. So what does exalt mean? Well, it means that God placed Jesus at a higher and more powerful level than any other human being that's ever lived. The God-man, Jesus Christ, was exalted with the name above every name. And so he did it two ways. First, he glorified Jesus' human body by transforming it. He changed it into a glorified body that could never die. For example, when the glorified Jesus appeared to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, John described Jesus like this in Revelation 1, 14 through 18. He says, the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Wow. Wow. So the presence of the glorified Jesus caused the Apostle Paul to be so acutely aware of his sin that he went prostrate on his face at Jesus' feet as though dead. Anybody that tells you that they've seen Jesus and talked about what a nice guy Jesus was, they didn't really see Jesus. <laughs> this is the effect that Jesus will have on you if you see Jesus. Because all of us have some remaining sin nature, right? Some sins that we do every day. Sin cannot exist in the presence of a glorious Jesus Christ, a holy Jesus Christ. What it does is it convicts us of our sin because the brightness of him, you heard the description right here. This is not, this is not the same Jesus that at the Last Supper that John kind of leaned over and put his head up against him and rested on him. This is a totally different effect the glorified Jesus has on us and did on John. I mean, can you imagine feeling like you're going to die right there in front of him? So the holiness then is the important part. This is something that, that uh, Jesus deals with for us. But, you know, he doesn't leave John on the, on the ground like that, does he? What does he do? He, sort of, he gently reaches out and he's like, dear John, dear John, I, you know, I, I want to comfort you right now. You, you don't have to be afraid because you're mine. You're, you're in union with me. You don't have to fear death. Even though I have the keys of death in Hades, you don't have to fear that. You're not going to be going there. Even though you're acutely aware of your sin right now, you don't have to worry about that. And that's, that's what Jesus wants to say to us this morning. He knows that you're sinning every day, but he wants to reach out to you this morning and say, look, I want to gently put my hand on you and say, it's okay, don't be afraid. I'm at work. My sovereignty is at work. My grace is at work. My mercies are at work in your life. 
and I'm not finished with you yet. I'm going to continue to work, and I'm going to glorify you too. I have defeated death, and you're not going to be subject to a death that's final. You're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. Oh, yeah. That's true for you this morning because it's true of Jesus. And so because he has the keys of death in Hades, when judgment day comes, which is what he's going to oversee because he's become the judge, because he's got the name that's been exalted above all names, then that means that all mankind is going to rise. And they're going to appear before him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We'll look again at that in a few minutes. So the exalted Jesus will decide who are his and who are not. Furthermore, as we continue to think about the highly exalted Jesus, we see that the glorified Jesus will be the lamp of the heavenly city of Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. Here's what Revelation 21 verse 23 says, and the heavenly city of Jerusalem has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. And who is the lamb? The lamb is Jesus. Just think about that, the glorified Jesus. It's so full of light that he, so holy, because sin can't exist in his presence, there's nothing but beautiful, glorious light, the light of heaven all the time. And so this heavenly city of Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven and be placed on a transformed earth is one that's got the presence of Jesus every day, all day in it. And there's going to be absolutely no sin. The sin cannot exist in his presence. His light burns it away. And that's what we're going to be like. We're going to be sinless. The exalted Jesus is going to make sure of that. The second way that God exalted Jesus was to bestow on Jesus a name that is above every name. Well, that leads us to ask the question, what name is that name? You see, throughout most of the Gospels, we hear that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Son of God, he's the Son of Man, and he's known by these different titles. But God bestowed on him at his ascension the name Lord. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're addressing him as the supreme name, the exalted name. So why is the name Lord the name that's above every name? What is it about it? What's so special about Lord? It's the name of God. The human Jesus has now been exalted. And for the first time, a human being is being called God. This has never happened before in the history of the earth. That's who you're worshiping this morning. You're worshiping God. You're worshiping the, the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Jesus is Lord. 
So when the first Christians made their confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, they were confessing that this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, was none other than God in his exalted state. Wow. Wow. Jesus had passed the test of the cross, and God had exalted him and named him Lord. No other human being has ever had that or ever will. He alone qualified. But do you see what this means? We need to think just a little deeper about this because there's something very powerful that's taking place. It's something glorious and wonderful. We're not just being restored to the Garden of Eden. It's not like Adam was forgiven and he can go back into Eden as the same Adam that he was before. The old relationship between Adam and God, the created and the creator, has changed. It's more than redemption. And this is the beauty and the glory of the gospel. We're not just being restored. We're not just being redeemed. We are in Christ. We are in union with Christ. The treasures of heaven are ours. We are children of God. We're going to be transformed to be like Jesus. All the glory of God comes to bear here. I mean, do you see this? This is, this is the amazing part about the gospel. We're not just being restored. We have an entirely different relationship than Adam had with the Creator. I mean, how can he take sinful human beings and give them more than redemption? That's what he does. That's the character of our God who loves you more than life itself. You've gotten more. Why would he do that? What is it? Is there something special about you? No. Is there something special about me? No. It's because he's decided to do that because of his great love and his delight in you and his grace and his sovereignty and his mercies upon us. This is the God we worship. Isn't that the kind of God you want to worship? Amen? Yeah, amen. And that's why we should be full of joy this morning, rejoicing in who we worship and who we gather to worship together. That brings us to our fourth point. What would be the result of God highly exalting Jesus and bestowing on him the name above every name? It means that judgment day is coming when Jesus is coming back. On that day, the glorified Jesus will command all beings to stand before him and be judged. And that's when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So even, though, even those who are, aren't believers, who are not Christians, they will bow their knee before God and say, yeah, you really are the one. Sort of similar, not, not just like perfectly identical to what John did, but the idea is the same. They'll be prostrate in their faces saying, yeah, this light is overwhelming. You know, this glory uh, that I'm seeing right now, I'm now a believer. Yeah, Jesus is Lord.
All will confess that. But just because they mouth the words, Jesus is Lord, doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Just because they wrotely say what other people say, if they don't believe these things in their heart, then they don't qualify for going to going to heaven. And so Matthew 7.21 in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then while I declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Are you humbly doing the will of your Father in heaven? Are you just running your own life? God exalted to glorify Jesus to be the judge on judgment day. There's no reason for you to be afraid this morning, just like there was no reason for John to be afraid. But he was, because <laughs> he was aware that he was still a sinner. But you have a place where you can rejoice even now, because you know that Jesus is the Lord of your heart, the Lord of your mind, Lord of your soul, and that you want to obey the word. Jesus, the living word, the logos. Same word that he obeyed as he went to the cross and died in your place. So for those who are not Christians, because Jesus has the keys of Hades and death, then they're going to spend eternity without God. They're not going to die. They're going to die spiritually. They're already dead spiritually. But they're going to live forever in hell. Sometimes that sounds like a harsh doctrine. But that's what the truth is. And so that's why we need to pray for our loved ones who don't know Christ. We need to share the good news of the gospel with those who we know, friends that don't know Christ. We have the good news and we're supposed to be the ambassadors of that good news. And not, not only are you going to be so blessed, but you also have the opportunity to talk and share this good news with others. And hopefully, God will save them. This brings us to our fifth point. What difference does the ascension, exaltation, and glorification of Jesus make to us today? It means that we all have a glorious future that far exceeds our wildest imaginations. You know, being a pastor, sometimes I have the privilege of being able to explore things maybe more deeply than most of you because I have more time. Doesn't mean I'm any smarter. <laughs> but also I'm getting older. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think about things to come more often than I used to. And, you know, there's much mystery about what heaven's going to look like. But we get little glimpses. I mean, there's all kinds of creatures, you know, that we hear about and read about that uh, we haven't actually seen. Um, 
There's all kinds of things going on in heaven and result of prayer. There's battles going on. You know, in Daniel 10, we see this battle um, between uh, the archangel Michael and the prince of Persia. And for 21 days, this battle's going on after Daniel prays. And so when the, when the archangel shows up, he says, Daniel, I heard your prayer 21 days ago. You know, we, you were hurt, but I had a little detour I had to make over here and battle the prince of Persia. <laughs> So there's those kinds of things happening in the, in the heavenlies we can't see, but we know that God's all-powerful. He's ruling over all those things. So we have this amazing, glorious future that exceeds our wildest imaginations. We see what's going on here with uh, this picture that we have from John in Revelation 1. And so we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we have his righteousness. We know that he's sanctifying us. He's going to finish this job of glorifying us. We know that we're in union with him and what Jesus has begun that he's going to finish. So what a joy it is to know what Jesus has accomplished for us as we think about these things and rejoice in them and know that what is true of Jesus is true of us. And so the Apostle Paul is very excited about all this as he's there in jail in the Roman prison you talk about circumstances being opposite to what you want, but he knows that God's even working in the prison through him to the guards and the, even to the place where it goes to the, the emperor of Rome. So God's at work. And so he's got his mind then not on the fact he's in jail, which yes, he knows that, <laughs> but he doesn't dwell on that. He dwells on the gospel, and that's what he wants us to do. When you're in negative circumstances, you are to dwell on the gospel. You're to dwell in the future. You're to know that God is with you, and he will empower you. He will comfort you in those circumstances. So you don't have to fixate on the negative circumstances, but that's what we do. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had arguments with different people over the years, and, you know, I keep thinking in my head, it's like this tape that keeps running over and over and over and over, or... You know, it's like replaying and I go back and I think, well, I could have said this or I could have said that and I could have won the argument. <laughs> well, that's not the point. God's not interested if you win the argument. He's interested in whether you love that other person or whether you sinned against them and basically sinned against God because it's his law, right? So God's more interested in our holiness and our love than he is about whether we win an argument. And so... With Paul in jail, Paul's focused on the Philippians here as he's writing this letter to them. He's focused on helping them to see this glorious future that they share in, that he's got. Now, he's had some special privilege in being able to glimpse some things in heaven. We know that from Galatians. But he wants to share all these things, and he does that as often as he can so that they understand they have this glorious future as well. And so we need to be reminded then this morning as we think about how do we apply these scriptures to our, to our lives is that we have an active enemy and our sin nature is alive and it's trying to control us. It's trying to tempt us to do things that are unbiblical. So we need to preach this gospel to ourselves every single day. We need to be aware of it because we're creatures that need that rep repetition that keeps going on over and over. 
We're to put on our spiritual armor that we find in Ephesians 6.10 and following. The very first thing is the word of God, right? So the importance of obeying and, and asking God to help us obey the word of God is extremely important. And we think about this future that we have. And so our biggest problem is not other people and it's not our circumstances. Our biggest problem is our sin nature, our battle that's going on within our own hearts. And so we need to learn how to apply that gospel more and more. And we see it as we experience these battles that are taking place. It's experiential, if you will. So we're all learning. We're on a learning curve. We're learning then by example after example of experiences that we had. How do we live the gospel in this circumstance? How do we love these people who are grace enhancers, who seem to be people that block our way, you know, stop us from getting our will? And so we need practice. How do we get to the point where we begin to pray for those who are grace enhancers instead of saying they're just bad people and I, you know, they're my enemy, I want nothing to do with them. Pray for those who use you and hurt you. That's not something we feel like doing. It's something we do out of obedience. And it's because the gospel teaches us to do that. So it's exciting news. It's great and exciting news that we have here this morning. And I really hope you can go out of here this morning thinking about these things, not only the rest of today, but tomorrow and, and the rest of the week, and, and that you, re, you just experience a greater and greater joy in your life and your relationship with Christ as you do. And as you remember, what's true of Jesus is true of you. And I want you to repeat those words with me just a second. I want you to repeat these words just a second. What is true of Jesus is true of me. What is true of Jesus is true of me. Take it in. Claim it. Walk out of here with that. You will ascend. You will be exalted. And you will be glorified. Because that's what Jesus is doing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing gospel that uh, is far greater and more beautiful than anything we can imagine or think. Thank you for this great love that you pour out on us each and every day. Thank you, Lord, that you're showing us how to love like Jesus loves, how to forgive like Jesus forgives, how to uh, enjoy you, Lord. So often we forget to enjoy you. And we praise you for this great grace that we're walking in, this great gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.